Part the First of Peter Bell, A Tale by William Wordsworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. All by the moonlit riverside groaned the poor beast, alas, in vain. The staff was raised to loftier height, and the blows fell with heavier weight as Peter struck and struck again. Hold! cried the squire. Against the rules of common sense you're surely sinning. This leap is for us all too bold. Who Peter was, let that be told, and start from the beginning. A potter, sir, he was by trade, said I, becoming quite collected. And wheresoever he appeared, full twenty times was Peter feared, for once that Peter was respected. He too in thirty years or more had been a wild and woodland rover, had heard the Atlantic surges roar on farthest Cornwall's rocky shore, and trod the cliffs of Dover. And he had seen Carnarvon's towers, and well he knew the spire of Sarum. And he had been where Lincoln Bell flings o'er the fen that ponderous knell, a far-renowned alarum. At Doncaster, at York, and Leeds, and Mary Carlisle had he been. And all along the lowlands fair, all through the bonny shire of air, and far as Aberdeen. And he had been at Inverness, and Peter, by the mountain rills, had danced his round with highland lasses, and he had lain beside his asses on lofty Cheviot hills. And he had trudged through Yorkshire dales, among the rocks and winding scars, where deep and low the hamlets lie beneath their little patch of sky and little lot of stars. And all along the indented coast, bespattered with the salt sea foam, where'er a knot of houses lay on headland or in hollow bay, sure never man like him did roam. As well might Peter in the fleet have been fast bound a begging debtor. He travelled here, he travelled there, but not the value of a hair was heart or head the better. He roved among the vales and streams in the green wood and hollow dell, they were his dwellings night and day, but nature ne'er could find the way into the heart of Peter Bell. In vain, through every changeful year, did nature lead him as before. A primrose by a river's brim, a yellow primrose was to him, and it was nothing more. Small change it made in Peter's heart to see his gentle, pannered train, with more than vernal pleasure feeding, where'er the tender grass was leading its earliest green along the lane. In vain, through water, earth, and air, the soul of happy sound was spread, when Peter on some April morn beneath the broom or budding thorn made the warm earth his lazy bed. At noon, when by the forest's edge he lay beneath the branches high, the soft blue sky did never melt into his heart, he never felt the witchery of the soft blue sky. On a fair prospect some have looked and felt, as I have heard them say, as if the moving time had been a thing as steadfast as the scene on which they gazed themselves away. Within the breast of Peter Bell these silent raptures found no place. He was a carl as wild and rude as ever hue and cry pursued, as ever ran a felon's race. Of all that lead a lawless life, of all that love their lawless lives, in city or in village small, he was the wildest far of all. He had a dozen wedded wives. Nay, start not! Wedded wives and twelve! 
But how one wife could e'er come near him, in simple truth I cannot tell. For be it said of Peter Bell, to see him was to fear him. Though nature could not touch his heart by lovely forms and silent weather, and tender sounds, yet you might see at once that Peter Bell and she had often been together. A savage wildness round him hung as of a dweller out of doors, in his whole figure and his mien a savage character was seen of mountains and of dreary moors. To all the unshaped half-human thoughts which solitary nature feeds midsummer storms or winter's ice, had Peter joined whatever vice the cruel city breeds. His face was keen as is the wind that cuts along the hawthorn fence. Of courage you saw little there, but in its stead a medley air of cunning and of impudence. He had a dark and sidelong walk, and long and slouching was his gait. Beneath his look so bare and bold, you might perceive his spirit cold was playing with some inward bait. His forehead wrinkled was and furred, a work one half of which was done by thinking of his whens and hows, and half by knitting of his brows beneath the glaring sun. There was a hardness in his cheek, there was a hardness in his eye, as if the man had fixed his face in many a solitary place against the wind and open sky. One night, and now, my little Bess, we've reached at last the promised tale. One beautiful November night, when the full moon was shining bright upon the rapid river swale. Along the river's winding banks, Peter was traveling all alone. Whether to buy or sell, or led by pleasure running in his head, to me was never known. He trudged along through copse and brake, he trudged along o'er hill and dale, nor for the moon cared he a tittle, and for the stars he cared as little, and for the murmuring river swale. But chancing to espy a path that promised to cut short the way, as many a wiser man hath done, he left a trusty guide for one that might his steps betray. To a thick wood he soon is brought, where cheerily his course he weaves, and whistling loud may yet be heard, though often buried, like a bird darkling, among the boughs and leaves. But quickly Peter's mood is changed, and on he drives with cheeks that burn in downright fury and in wrath. There's little sign the treacherous path will to the road return. The path grows dim and dimmer still, now up, now down the rover wends, with all the sail that he can carry, till brought to a deserted quarry, and there the pathway ends. He paused, for shadows of strange shape, massy and black, before him lay. But through the dark, and through the cold, and through the yawning fissures old, did Peter boldly press his way. Right through the quarry, and behold a scene of soft and lovely hue, where blue and gray and tender green together make as sweet a scene as ever human eye did view. Beneath the clear blue sky he saw a little field of meadow ground. But field or meadow name it not. Call it of earth a small green plot with rocks encompassed round. The swale flowed under the gray rocks, but he flowed quiet and unseen. You need a strong and stormy gale to bring the noises of the swale to that green spot, so calm and green. And is there no one dwelling here, no hermit with his beads and glass? 
And does no little cottage look upon this soft and fertile nook? Does no one live near this green grass? Across the deep and quiet spot is Peter driving through the grass, and now has reached the skirting trees, when turning round his head he sees a solitary ass. A prize, cries Peter, but he first must spy about him far and near. There's not a single house in sight, no woodman's hut, no cottage light. Peter, you need not fear. There's nothing to be seen but woods and rocks that spread a hoary gleam. And this one beast, that from the bed of the green meadow hangs his head over the silent stream. His head is with a halter bound, the halter seizing. Peter leapt upon the creature's back and plied with ready heels his shaggy side, but still the ass his station kept. Then Peter gave a sudden jerk, a jerk that from a dungeon floor would have pulled up an iron ring, but still the heavy-headed thing stood just as he had stood before. Quoth Peter, leaping from his seat, There is some plot against me laid. Once more the little meadow ground and all the hoary cliffs around he cautiously surveyed. All, all is silent, rocks and woods, all still and silent, far and near. Only the ass, with motion dull, upon the pivot of his skull, turns round his long left ear. Thought Peter, what can mean all this? Some ugly witchcraft must be here. Once more the ass, with motion dull, upon the pivot of his skull, turned round his long left ear. Suspicion ripened into dread, yet with deliberate action slow, his staff high raising in the pride of skill, upon the sounding hide he dealt a sturdy blow. The poor ass staggered with the shock, and then, as if to take his ease in quiet, uncomplaining mood, upon the spot where he had stood, dropped gently down upon his knees. As gently on his side he fell, and by the river's brink did lie, and while he lay like one that mourned, the patient beast on Peter turned his shining hazel eye. T'was but one mild, reproachful look, a look more tender than severe, and straight in sorrow, not in dread, he turned the eyeball in his head towards the smooth river, deep and clear. Upon the beast the sapling rings, his lank sides heaved, his limbs they stirred. He gave a groan, and then another, of that which went before the brother, and then he gave a third. All by the moonlit riverside he gave three miserable groans. And not till now hath Peter seen how gaunt the creature is, how lean and sharp his staring bones. With legs stretched out and stiff he lay, no word of kind commiseration fell at the sight from Peter's tongue. With hard contempt his heart was wrung with hatred and vexation. The meager beast lay still as death, and Peter's lips with fury quiver. Quoth he, you little mulish dog, I'll fling your carcass like a log head foremost down the river. An impious oath confirmed the threat, whereat from the earth on which he lay to all the echoes south and north and east and west, the ass sent forth a long and clamorous bray. This outcry on the heart of Peter 
seems like a note of joy to strike, joy at the heart of Peter Knox, but in the echo of the rocks was something Peter did not like. Whether to cheer his coward breast, or that he could not break the chain in this serene and solemn hour, twined round him by demoniac power, to the blind work he turned again. Among the rocks and winding crags, among the mountains far away, once more the ass did lengthen out, more ruefully a deep-drawn shout, the hard, dry seesaw of his horrible bray. What is there now in Peter's heart, or whence the might of this strange sound? The moon uneasy looked and dimmer, the broad blue heavens appeared to glimmer, and the rocks staggered all around. From Peter's hand the sapling dropped. Threat has he none to execute. If anyone should come and see that I am here, they'll think, quoth he, I'm helping this poor dying brute. He scans the ass from limb to limb, and ventures now to uplift his eyes. More steady looks the moon, and clear, more like themselves the rocks appear and touch more quiet skies. His scorn returns, his hate revives. He stoops the ass's neck to seize with malice. That again takes flight, for in the pool a startling sight meets him among the inverted trees. Is it the moon's distorted face, the ghost-like image of a cloud? Is it a gallows there portrayed? Is Peter of himself afraid? Is it a coffin or a shroud? A grisly idol hewn in stone or imp from witch's lap let fall? Perhaps a ring of shining fairies, such as pursue their feared vagaries in sylvan bower or haunted hall? Is it a fiend that to a stake of fire his desperate self is tethering? or stubborn spirit, doomed to yell in solitary ward or cell ten thousand miles from all his brethren. Never did pulse so quickly throb, and never heart so loudly panted. He looks, he cannot choose but look, like someone reading in a book, a book that is enchanted. Ah, well-a-day for Peter Bell. He will be turned to iron soon, meet statue for the court of fear. His hat is up, and every hair bristles and whitens in the moon. He looks, he ponders, looks again. He sees a motion, hears a groan. His eyes will burst, his heart will break. He gives a loud and frightful shriek, and back he falls, as if his life were flown. End of part the first.